In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Welcome back, everybody, to Not Another True Crime Podcast. I'm Danny Murphy, and Sarah is, she's either out on the town or sick. I mean, it's one of the, I feel like it's, like, in 2022, it's one of the two. You're either traveling or your plans of traveling are canceled. All I know is it's not COVID, so she's either in Colorado or just chilling. But what I do know is that we have a special guest with us this week. You know him, and you love him. It is Jorge. Hi, everyone. I'm so happy to be back here, Danny. I remember last time we did this, it was about Soho House. Yes! Which was a super fun case. That one was so good. And I keep on forgetting. I'm like, why would I probably never be allowed in there? And I'm like, oh, yeah, because we did an episode about how they had a full-on murder yeah, going down out there. Yeah, we're, we're on know, their blacklist. Honestly, we only expose them for that because people do expose them for being kind of overpriced and worthless. So we don't have to get into that. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's the worst thing we did. We exposed them yeah. for being overpriced and not that, that nice. <laughs> I know that kind of is the trend with rich people. They'll be like, "No, you can talk about the awful things I do, but don't right. say I'm yeah, but don't come for my money." The and murder, that kind of sums up, mm, yeah. Uh, that's fine, but yeah. like trashing our luxury? Oh no. <laughs> They're like, "We have keels, motherfucker." <laughs> As I I mean, that, that's what every New York luxury likes to do. They like to have keels, and I'm sure I think keels was around in the early 2000s, and I'm sure the person we're talking about today had a ton of keel, even though I don't know if hygiene was top on the list for this man. I don't know, but th- there was a lot to uh, hygienize. <laughs> so. it, a, a lot to hygienize. When <laughs> I picked this, I didn't realize how intricate this man's life is. We're talking about Lou Pearlman this week, and I'm sure most people, I feel like a lot of people know his name, and even if you don't know his name, I know for a fact every single person listening, 99.99999% know the impact of his business. Absolutely. I mean, there's no arguing with the fact that he had a massive impact oh. in culture in general. Everything. Yeah. If you shared the meme, it's going to be May. You know <laughs> Lou Pearlman's work. That's just kind of it. Because he's from the Backstreet Boys, Sync, and all that. But I feel like, Jorge, you were as surprised as me because we're going to get into I didn't know how deep his scamming went. Totally. <laughs> and how it started from age five. And you know what? We'll get into it, but you know, it's it's always been kind of one of those things that's talk about how fame for these bands doesn't necessarily always bring monetary success. Or, you know, these you hear of, of these artists that are were super big, like everyone knew their names um, back in the day, but then they end up broke and destitute yeah. and bankrupt. And I think this story has a lot to do with why that was. It's It's exposing something very interesting about the music industry in general. A hundred percent, because I feel like everyone's like, why is that person doing like an ad for Purina on like Instagram? It's like, because everyone is taking their money because <laughs> they exactly. got famous when they were two and didn't know what a fucking contract is. So it, re- it really is insane in that regard. So a little backstory about Lou. He was born in New York, June 19th, 1954. Only child in his autobiography. So a lot of stuff. I didn't read his autobiography, but a lot of it came from it. So grain of salt, because this man is full of lies. But what I feel like is a universal truth is that he didn't really come from money. His family was pretty poor. Uh, His dad ran a dry cleaning business and his mom worked at a school. 
his main thing is that they lived near LaGuardia Airport and they saw a lot of blimps take off and he fell in fucking love. And I know right now everyone is probably like, why does this matter? Because I didn't know it mattered for Lou Pearlman, but it does. It does. It does. Also, I mean, who hasn't fallen in love with a blimp? I, you know, they're they're gorgeous. And I feel there's only, and I remember the craziest fact. I think there's only like 12 blimps in the world now or something. Is that true? And wow. everybody just shares that. I mean, I think I saw that on Twitter. So literally, it's probably not true. But <laughs> Well, I think, you know, it's one of those transportation modes that is completely obsolete at this point. <laughs> yeah. No one, because you just have the planes with the little flag now that says like, bubbly seltzer and i'm like okay so i feel like that's (laughs) a little easier to get off the ground than a blimp totally well and another twist in his life is that art garfunkel was his first cousin crazy and if anybody listening is like you're saying things i don't know i don't know what a blimp is i don't know what art garfunkel is (laughs) call your parent back that you didn't pick up the phone to talk to today and ask they will explain to you who art garfunkel is and if you do know shout out to you shout out to you music historians and your parents would be so happy to talk about Art Gar- Garfunkel oh. for the next 45 minutes. <laughs> Lit- <laughs> that would be your own podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, if you record that, you could release it right now. <laughs> but this is kind of, so he first, because Art, famous musician, very, very famous, very big. This was kind of his inspiration at first to get into music. So he started managing a band when he was like a teenager. Obviously, he was a not a rich teenager, so that band didn't really get anywhere. So he did a quick pivot to wanting to become a pilot, which, I mean, he fell in deep in love with the uh, planes and uh, aerodynamic of life. But he kind of, I think, also was realizing, okay, I don't really know how to do that. So he went to college. And here's what's so crazy. He went to Queens College, uh, like the CUNY one. He did write a plan in college for helicopter taxis. And it is sort of, I feel like people probably were like, what the fuck are you talking about back then? But that is now a thing. It is a thing. So it is kind of weird. I yeah. see those and whenever, I mean, I'm terrified of helicopters, so I will never get in one. But I see, we've all seen the influencers blade to Montauk. Uh, yeah. And they're just like. You can also blade to the airport. It is funny that this business, as we were saying, is like totally legitimate. You know, there it actually was something that could have been monetized and made into a successful business. And I feel like that's kind of, the case with a lot of scammers and fraudsters that they start with an idea that is a good one. An idea that if you pursue legitimately, you will end up being the owner of a successful yes. company. You have to work hard and you'll make many, many millions, but then they always are like, how do I work none and make billions? And then- Right, right. It's greed at the end of it. Greed and laziness that turns these people to fraud. It's hard. And it is funny you said that he had the potential to make it legitimate because he also had a connection like there uh we'll get into the guy and everything like that but he um made a connection in west germany where this is apparently like arrow land heaven sent to learn about planes and blimps and everything like that so he was in with the guy you want to be in with and yeah. uh so just really fumbled it all from there and it is kind of crazy because it is a business that none of us really talk about so he went to West Germany to learn about the ins and outs of blimping, <laughs> which I mean, <laughs> I guess that is study abroad for some. Who knows? I didn't. I don't know a single person who works near blimps or anything like that. But I'm glad that it was alive and well then. But he did kind of jump right into the action. So when he got back to the states in 1980, he formed Airship Enterprises Limited, and his company leased out a blimp to another company, Jordache Jeans. This company is not around anymore. I don't think so. It might be Jordache. <laughs> Who knows? Why would a jean company need a blimp? 
well. They were having a little soiree outside, and they thought, wouldn't it be so cool if a blimp flew by it? Which made me laugh, because I'm like, everyone's at the event for your jeans company. Talk. I don't know if they're going to look up and look at that or anything, you know? <laughs> Talk about greed. Do you, you have it on the ground. Why do you need the land? Why do you yeah, need the right. air for it? <laughs> and um, they wanted this so badly. There was one slight issue after they agreed to lease the blimp from Lou. He didn't have the blimp. <laughs> he didn't have a blimp, so that is a small issue with you the know? blimp. With leasing a blimp, yeah, you not having one. Yeah, 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 I could see the, I could see the issue here. So it also is a thing. I don't know if this is totally fraud or it's not genius business, but it is a savvy move. He was like, okay, I'm gonna use the money they gave me to build the blimp and give it to them. Tight deadline though. So he, <laughs> where do you go when you have a tight deadline and you need something done fast and maybe cheap? New Jersey. It's just, you know, it's what you do. <laughs> this just goes to show how like leasing or renting oh. is so overpriced. Like with the money he got for renting a balloon for one night, he was like, I'm just going to make a new exactly. one. Like, that's all I need. It's just crazy. It is, it is I mean, let's do the scam of the rental market everywhere. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out that's to everybody right. on Street Easy right now crying their eyes out. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so he got a balloon envelope that was used and that terrified me and i mean i'm sure a lot of you can connect the dots but the envelope is like what gets inflated so a used balloon like the actual balloon of the blimp yeah just chilling in california that gets sent to jersey (laughs) for an aluminum contractor to build a frame for it all of this seems terrifying but i guess legit ish it would be legit ish if it was to build like a i don't know a lamp (laughs) but not something that has to go in the air. I don't know. That's where that's where it loses me. And I don't know if this was really doomed from the start, but uh, the blimp was assembled at a naval base in Jersey, in Lakehurst. And it was the same one where I remember hearing about this. I, I mean, from forever ago, because we learned about it in school. Uh, the German Zeppelin, the Hindenburg, crashed in flames in 1937. Yikes. So, not the association that you want when you're building a blimp. Not at all all and kind of you i think you could connect the dots from the used envelope and the new jersey of it all this blimp also immediately crashed upon takeoff <laughs> thankfully the pilot was i mean god bless he was able to do an emergency crash landing into a literal pile of garbage shout out to new jersey too saved the landing so he was able to live and everything but it was really insane that upon takeoff that this blimp did not work doomed from the doomed start from the start so the gene company obviously filed a lawsuit against airship <laughs> enterprises but lou also his move and you'll see this through and through he loves a file back he loves to kind of like yeah confuse people counter sue it's when you, all all the cards are stacked against you what do you do and they were in this like entanglement for a few years and it ended with lou getting 2.5 million dollars in damages what i'm the sure hell, it was probably because he had a policy i don't know if he had a policy or something like that on this blimp but he was able to get... Oh, maybe he got an insurance pause. Something yeah. like that. Wow. You know? Crazy. Sometimes you need money to make money, but sometimes you just need no money to make a lot of money. <laughs> That's that hack That out works there. too, apparently, yeah. for some people. Any person in business school, <laughs> let us know how to do that. <laughs> so then he met up with this friend who was equally shady and told Lou, you know, you love your blimps. Maybe start a different company. You know, a new one where this isn't the name that is associated with it. (laughs) So he called it Airship (laughs) International. So he just changed Enterprises to International. (laughs) No one will know. Yeah, weird that this 
guy is behind hits like ain't no lie bye 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 <laughs> right it's funny too because after this first hindenburg like disaster right he made three million or yeah. 2.5 million dollars from it he could have yes, stopped there could live off that's a lot of money that's more money than a lot of people make in their lifetime you got that in like by scamming someone and crashing a plimp they rented from you by not even doing work because he didn't do any of that part yeah right <laughs> he didn't do any of this but no that was not enough he wanted it was more? just the beginning and then this um the advice he got from this friend too was to take the biz public and in 1985 this guy helped him raise three million dollars <laughs> and again the blimps are the be all end all because he took that money to buy a new blimp <laughs> Of course, of course. And he worked all this around, got the blimp, and started making moves and saying it was public because he said, oh, I'm in business with Theodore Wollenkemper, this guy, my West Germany contact, who was the guy who did have him come out to West Germany to learn after Lou said in his autobiography that he took him to dinner and he was impressed by his love of blimps, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> and the crazy thing is, he, his next deal was with McDonald's, which is huge. McDonald's got in the blimp game. It is huge. More money than Jordache wow. jeans, I'm assuming. So, I guess, <laughs> and I guess everybody at this time too, I mean, blimps are spelled, everybody looks up when you see a blimp now. So, I mean, you do get advertisement from it, but I feel like everyone That's was just true. kind of, okay, this is where I got to go. So then he moved to Florida, Orlando in 1991, and he got MetLife and SeaWorld as clients. So he was really pulling in heavy, heavy hitters. That's crazy. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing what some dude with an obsession for blimps can get done. All these deals. Right? It is funny because it's like, oh, wow, I guess follow your passion. And it is amazing, too, because he said every, even in his autobiography, he said, every night I would go to sleep just looking at those blimps. And I'm like, how many blimps took off, A? And B, his neighbor <laughs> said that his window didn't even face the airport. So there's also that. <laughs> Pathological liar. I cannot believe it. Yeah. This guy? I know, right? Shocking. And pathological Shocking. in his lies and also in his um, aircraft production because clients started to drop him again because three of the blimps also crashed. I just don't know why he, he has all this money. I don't know why he can't build better blimps. Maybe because blimps aren't Are, good. That's true. <laughs> They're I obsolete don't know the for a reason. Of that. Yeah, you know? that maybe makes sense because I don't really know how that aerodynamics dynamics. But it got so bad that the company's stock, with, which used to go for $6 a share, which is, I think, which is huge, especially back then, went down to three yeah. cents a share. So Yikes. they shut down really fast. I mean, this also goes to show how ridiculous the stock market oh. is to begin with. The fact that he was able to raise $3 million from selling stocks to a company that had never put a blimp in the air. Like, it was just this weird company from this weird guy who loved blimps. Yeah, he just they got $3 million. He just said German names and people were sold. <laughs> he just said a German name and people were like, yeah, okay, bye, bye, yeah. bye, bye, to the moon, to the moon. He was like, oh, I know Lederhosen. I got this. Yeah, <laughs> we'll help you to fuck out. And also going from $6 a share to $0.03 cents a share, that's like Theranos levels, you know, of like valuations going to zero. Stock dealing was also unsurprisingly shady because his friend yeah. Jerome Rosen, you know, sometimes you need, sometimes you need uh, someone in this market. He was a partner of a trading place called Norbay Securities. He helped him with all this stock trading. So he would send the price constantly higher and help Lou to sell hundreds of thousands of shares at higher prices. So it was really going up, 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 up when Lou's company was reporting barely revenue, no cash flow no net income. So it's all kind of smoke and mirrors. 
smoke and mirrors and that really hasn't changed like to this day yeah (laughs) you know with i'm sure you follow this but GameStop stock the redditors like manipulating stock prices it's Exactly. The system has not changed at all. You can still get it. I had a panic when you said, I know you follow this. I was like, GameStop is the only stock story I know. So thank God that's the one you said. Because I was like, yeah. I, <laughs> it's it's the, one. the one. It's the one everyone does. And it may, yeah, it's the one you could bring up at a dinner table. And then you're just like, no, I'm smart. <laughs> and if someone asks me about any other stock thing, I know nothing. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to be making nine millions on blips. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. What I love about Shopify is basically how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. I know we use Shopify here at Betches, and honestly, anyone with any kind of business could really benefit from Shopify. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com betches, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash betches now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash betches. So, uh, like I said, he did move to Florida. People were saying this was a midlife crisis for him. Sure. Uh, but he did find, I think he gives Anna Delvey, and like I guess this is just what scammer MO, because you just latch on to a rich yeah. person who wants to say they do things. And you tell them that I can do it for you. That is a good, I mean, it's it's a bad <laughs> thing to do, but if you, it's a tip. I mean, I. But I am kind of taking notes on the side. <laughs> just don't take it only from the rich person giving you the money and don't make anything that has to go there in the air. Go. That's what you got to do. Robin Hood would be so proud of yes. us right now. Oh, yes. <laughs> so this investor was a British heir, Julian Bencher, who was 22 years old. So also get a 22 year old who's a billionaire. That's a pretty easy easy (laughs) hack to find. I don't know where you go. And it's amazing, too, because he had this huge investor to kind of even try to help him out. But to raise his funds, he went to the penny stock roots, because that's what all this was, penny pinching stock or something in that regard. Again, I'm very dumb with stocks, where it's like when you have all the stuff to make something seem more inflated and valuable than it is. He went to a shady Colorado brokerage house, which in two public offerings helped raise $17 million selling airship stock to investors. 17 million. I mean, where does it end with this guy? Have you seen the movie Wolf of Wall Street? Yes. Oh, yeah. Whenever someone mentions penny stocks, now that's my association with mm-hmm. it. You know, that little scene in which like, it's all these truly like bozos sitting in like this tiny room in a mall, like selling hundreds of stocks and thousands of stocks and next big thing. Just having coke sweat. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right. (laughs) I feel like this type of thing, like people have learned about how 
penny stocks are mm-hmm. really worthless at this point. Oh yeah. But back in the '90s and '80s, it was this like it was part of the American dream, yeah. right? Everyone wanted to be part of the next big thing. You know, you can find the next Apple, you can find the next Google, and these penny and stocks. And it gets into like the gambling energy of it too, where they're like, "Don't you want to take this risk?" Because they called it apparently right. like a penny stock is also similar to like a boiler room firm type thing because it's risky, overpriced. Right. And unsuspecting and everything like that, but people are kind of like, okay, well, it's sort of mystery. You're not just doing the classic. So you're like, everyone's investing in that thing. What are you going to make? Go do this one. <laughs> right, right. And I, these boiler rooms also, they got most of their clients just from cold calls, which is also kind of a thing of the past. But they would just, you would be sitting at home, you know, like after work, feeling like, you know, your life isn't what yeah. you wanted it to you be. Yeah, three Miller High Lives you know? back then. Yeah, a microwavable meal. <laughs> three Miller High like, Lives. what? Yeah. So you get a call and this guy's telling you about this new airspace enterprise international that's going to be the next big thing in blimps. And, you know, you put $100,000 in this and you're going to get a million next year guaranteed. And people just felt well, Also, it. it has all the buzzwords like air, space, millions, enterprise, limited. I'm like, I, okay, oh, right. that sounds good. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> he knew how to surround himself with unsuspecting rich people, I'll say, and the shadiest business people of all time. Like the guy he brought on to help run the business was someone who was banned from working in the business. Just kind of a little side moment. And um <laughs> this the uh investor, the rich guy from London, Bencher, said that Perlman's main Achilles heel was his spending, and that's kind of what the crux of all this is, like Jorge said, he could have just been rich yeah. on $2.5 million, but he kept on spending, kept on wanting to feel rich, everything like this. He hired private jets and helicopters for every single business trip. Weird, he didn't fly in his own blimps. And every <laughs> meal was like dozens of people and like would have so much decadent stuff. This um, rich guy from London was also a little shady. He said, this didn't only drive up his expenses, but his weight. Which, I mean... He, the man did go up. I think he did gain 45 pounds. So he went from 316 to 350 during the his millions career. And if any of you are thinking of a blimp joke there, how dare you? I know I didn't. I know I did not even. That did not even cross my mind once. I was just making sure none of you all did that. Yeah. I mean, you never know with our listeners. <laughs> I mean, true crime listeners. You never know what the the, what's going on in the Hadiest, yes. But I feel, so that is kind of, even so... Before he even got into the music business, his foundation was lies, money, deceit, criminality. But he was smart because he kind of was like, oh, let me jump to something more profitable and something I haven't burned bridges in. Because (laughs) at this time, Blimps, I I don't know if Blimps ever really had a heyday, (laughs) but I think he started to realize, oh, there's no end game with the Blimps. Or there's a cap. So he was like, what is really popping off? New Kids on the Block. I mean, the moment. Wow. It was the moment. It was the moment. So they saw this, not even, oh, I guess resurgence because the Beatles, but um, a craze of boy band obsession everywhere that really was reminiscence to like the British, uh, the Beatles coming over, everything like that. But this time you could sell more stuff because there's more people in more places to buy stuff. So it was money, money, money some more endorsements and everything like that. And he was like, I need to make my own new kids on the block, which I mean, that is still, I think people do X factor, everything. So in that's true. Starting off smart business at its core, I guess. Who knows? The first band he signed 
was Backstreet Boys, which I think is a pretty oh my god, a pretty good first band to sign. And he found them through a three million dollar talent search in Florida of just like putting out an ad saying. Who has a kid that can sing? Basically. The yeah, ad didn't totally read that way. I had no idea that that's how Backstreet Boys started. I didn't either. What an origin story. Yeah, I feel every band I thought started as just like a group of friends, but I realized that never really happens. <laughs> Especially these bands. I mean, it's kind of the story of, uh, like you were saying, the X Factor is kind of the same thing, right? That's how uh, One Direction got started, right? One Direction. And then I think it was yeah, X Factor also like Fifth Harmony, Little Mix, all these bands. Right. All have disbanded. Which, so at okay. the end of the day, they're just expensive talent searches. Yeah. Right? <laughs> that they fund themselves through the television show, but that's what they're trying to do. They're just trying to find the next big stars and get them under contract. And the shittiest contracts of all time is what I've heard from every, yep. or all heard from every single person who's involved in them. And it's also then the talent comes to you, which is so easy. And he did pick, so he could have maybe changed his ways. Who knows? Because he picked for his team to do this. The original New Kids on the Block managers... Johnny Wright, and his wife, Donna. And New Kids on the Block was run legitimately, everything like that. So Johnny and Donna, right. they could have helped him. How did he convince these two people to be a manager for his Wine and dining on a private jet. I mean, wine <laughs> and money talks. And it's probably, and it's so smart because he's like, okay, you make this from New Kids on the Block. You can make this with all the other stuff. And I think he also told them they would get producer manager credits, which is moolah money versus just like managing totally. and everything. Managing. It is funny that the, because this started, uh, but the Backstreet Boys wasn't really that big because they started in 1994. They weren't big in the US until 97. They mainly started as like their career in Europe. That's where they got really popular. Really? I know, which is interesting. Apparently radio refused to play their first single, which I don't, I'm like, huh? Because it's like, seems like such What was their first single? I want to say Backstreet Boys. And I, because it's so funny, because you always think you're like, oh, they were, oh, I mean, maybe the band, just, they just knew NSYNC was going to come and radio was just Team NSYNC. Their first single was We've Got It Going On. Uh, I, I don't, because that's the thing that, that was like 94, 95, but the first song that came through for them was Quit Playing Games with My Heart. Love that one. Of course. And then Everybody. That was the main wow. break. Backstreet's back. All right. Um, All right. <laughs> so then. When he, I think he got the rush from going to Europe. And then when that U.S. crossover hit, he loved only music, didn't give a shit about the blimps. Airship International officially in 97 really just blew up in flames financially. They lost, and like it was a pretty steadily decline to that in 92. They lost $2 million, mm -hmm. 94, $4 million. And then like the stocks went to 13 cents and everything like that. Uh, he only had one blimp in production, but he didn't give a shit because after Backstreet Boys, he got in sync, who was also so successful. And all, I, I, I want to add too, it's like these two bands were extremely successful, but he didn't just have these two. He had like LFO, O-Town. He even repped Aaron Carter as a solo act. So he had a lot of just like bands that weren't always taking over and everything in like that. But we all know LFO, New Kid on the Block had a couple of hits. Chinese Food Makes Me Sick, like the best song. Uh, so he of really course. had a pop culture juggernaut for this so he's really on top of the world until um every single band besides two us5 and marshall dylan i'm assuming because no lawyer knew who they were because i personally don't know what this band is <laughs> when i read that i was like the us5 i'm like it was that like is that condoleezza rice's girl band before she became like what like us5 what the fuck is that uh, they sued him in federal court for misrepresentation of 
fraud. It all catches up, doesn't it? It all comes at you fast. And it almost didn't, though, because the Backstreet Boys, who was the first band, were the first to file suit against him, making all these claims because Brian Littrell, or Littrell, I think it's Littrell, one of the Backstreet Boys members, he was confused, Mm -hmm. and his family, thankfully, were also confused because, like, none of the other families, I guess, really were concerned about this. From 94 to 97, the boys of Backstreet Boys in total only made 300000 for their work. <laughs> can, you, can you believe that? I mean, this had to be, especially during that time, one of the biggest bands. Ever. Maybe the ever. world. Because they started, they, were, they were global. After they were making literally millions, like they are the best selling, they have the like top records of best selling everything that. Like platinum selling records. And endorsement um, deals. They back. were on everything. They right. were in, their songs were in commercials. So he, the, the, the Brian hired a lawyer who calculated that Perlman took several million dollars in revenue. And like, so the breakdown of it was that the individual members made 12000 a year. As the Backstreet Boys. The, so right now, so many of us are probably making more than the Backstreet Boys made at their heyday. I mean, that's literally poverty. That, it's in, you can't, that is below the poverty line. Even in the I think you make more selling Mary Kay. <laughs> And I'm never one to <laughs> shout out an MLM, but <laughs> Mary Kay and Ashley are raking it in in front of Baggage Street Boys. I mean, again, it's the greed, right? Yeah. Because imagine being the manager for Backstreet Boys. Literally, like, I'm sure that was one of the most sought after bands mm-hmm. to manage and to produce in the 90s. And he had them. Oh, had them at the, like, palm of his hand and everything in regards to that. And even so much, he felt like he was a part of the group, literally, because he paid himself, they found out in records, as the sixth member of the band. So he What a power move. So that means also every song, like the recording and everything like that, he was getting money from everything and just taking all that extra. It's unconscionable that someone would have this level of of like confidence. The and gall just and the audacity and the delusion. The gall, the audacity. It is next level. And shout out, I mean, Aaron Carter. And, and now also you see things like Aaron Carter was 14 during this. And he is battling his demons now. Yeah, I fuck it. Like, he was dealing with all this shit. Yeah. And he was 14. He sued in 2002 that he was sued out of hundreds of thousands and, of racket- and like charging Lou with racketeering in a deliberate pattern of criminal activity. They settled out of court. But all of this, I mean, a lot of these lawsuits are piling on. Like we said, every band besides US5 and the other band I literally forgot, even though I'm looking at their name right now. <laughs> they all started to break up, uh, it really. And I mean, they kind of had their first, uh, NSYNC had their big media moment with this because they did their album, No Strings Attached. A really fucking good album. Right. Even so much, like even down the line, Justin Timberlake said the band felt like it was being financially raped and everything like that. Intense stuff. Choice, Choice words. words. That's not something someone says... You know, as an offhand as comment. exactly, and we're gonna we we have it as a not a footnote, but a thing at the ending to talk about other allegations that come through with Lou that could tie back to those words. Just in case anybody's thinking right now, did we hear something else about him? Yes, we're getting to that. So, what do you do when your company again is coming into so this trouble? For most people, this would break them, and they would just be like, I don't know what to fucking do. Lest we forget, he went from blimps to this. So he's like, <laughs> I'm shocked he didn't rep the band who's saying, I get knocked down, but I get up again. 
Cause this is his. This is his. Uh, that was on his hit clips. Just that chorus. Yeah. Cause he knows he was Never just up, going up, kids. up. Never go up. <laughs> I should note before we get into this next company made, he did think, you know what? I'm just gonna become gonna get into the movie biz. He produced this movie. Cost twenty one million dollars to make. It made two million dollars. <laughs> we have to find this movie, it, Danny. It, we need to watch. The saddest it. thing. He it had like cameos and everything like that from uh, like Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake. I'm not sure how. They were able to um, like get approval and everything like that, and uh, it's called Long Shot. Long so it actually shot. came okay. out, and it was uh, it was like a promotion. They kept on saying, I think, like, oh, this is gonna be make you become you're a singer. Let's make you an actor. It was a lot of people's "Don't worry, darling," right. if you will. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, yeah. So if you want to watch it anywhere, I would probably say don't because I think it had the worst reviews ever. Yeah. But it's 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 there somewhere. <laughs> So he wasn't getting Oscar buzz, no Grammys. He turned to the internet because 2002, that's a, more of a thing now. So he bought this guy, Mark Tolner's internet-based talent company, Options Talent Group, which had like 900 names because it kept on being called out for shady shit. So he was like, this is right up his alley. It was like transcontinental talent, Wilhelmina talent scouting, which Wilhelmina models is a thing now, but I'm pretty sure that's probably why this company had to change its name. And it mainly right. lived on for a while as fashionrock.net which <laughs> kind of into that <laughs> that's peak internet name right there peak. fashionrock.net <laughs> <laughs> and it was all based on a business model used by their og founder uh Eamon Defrari, who also was a convicted con artist so it was really a good foundation for this what they claim is that our site helps directors and agents and talent scouts find you model actor singer in one convenient place <laughs> the company said it markets its computer database of models and actors to clients and everything like that. So it's sort of like, um, oh, you think you can get discovered at Annie Ann's in the mall? How about 9 million malls across the world on the internet? <laughs> it really kind of is that MO. That's so funny. It's, it's also like the beginning of the internet was such a crazy place. You know, it's like this comes around now and everyone kind of is wised up to the fact that it doesn't quite work like that. You know, exactly. But. Well, some people, I think, uh, some people do get scammed almost in a weird, on LinkedIn, when it's like um, job listings that aren't real jobs even. So now it's not even talent scouting. It's just yeah. people, yeah, because I, yeah, so. If any job offering is asking you to pay money oh. for an opportunity, I feel like that's a telltale sign of this is a scam. That is know? a scam. And this yeah. was one of them. If they don't make you apply on a specific website with 900 checking things, it's a scam. <laughs> <laughs> if they don't make you re-enter your resume oh. after you've already uploaded the the uh, resume, that's definitely a that. Scam. Yeah, blood. I'm just like, are you like? Why do I want to work here? I'm like, it makes. I'm sure so many people stopped applying for a job because they're like, okay, well, this isn't worth it. This is not. I can't just copy and paste this for me. I just spent three hours on Photoshop yeah. trying to make my resume perfect. <laughs> all the spacing is beautiful. And you're making me now add this information again. And then no, no, they all you. just hire internally. Gotta anyway. be unemployed. Yeah. <laughs> <It doesn't even laughs> so they're, they also like to approach people with potential. So even if you were in the mall, you didn't have internet access, um, they would go to people and invite them to an open call. Like, I feel like this used to be a thing I feel like you heard in the early 2000s, stuff like that, be like, oh my God, someone went up to me at the mall and said I can model. Right. I mean, if some, one friend brags about that, let them have it, but it might have been a scam. 
Nothing <laughs> <laughs> matter. It's probably a core memory. So let's if not that's uh, their bumble like here. fun fact, like I almost was a model <laughs> outside of Claire's. Let the girl have it. But if they did follow through with it, potentially it might have been Fashion Rock, where it cost five hundred ninety-five dollars to sign up up front. Oh. And then $20 a month to have your photos and information on the website. And that is all you get. For what? I just wonder how you could justify it to yourself that, you know, this is your big opportunity. Mm-hmm. and But you need to pay $600 for your picture to be posted on a website. That doesn't cost any money. It really, and I guess because people were like, I don't know how the internet works. This might be the only way to right. do it now or something like that. But, oh, my God. It's just, and that's just all, it's just literally money going I guess not to waste to the food that Lou is ordering for the table. And also the best part, the kicker, everyone who shows up gets accepted. Everyone's a model. I know for a You're a model. Fact, You're a model. Yeah, Oprah. I know for a fact, teenage me would not be a model. So I, it was not, we don't have the, like there was, it's just, I did just know it. And you get, you get a thicker skin and a fun personality from it. So don't, not everyone's a model. So these kids scamming was so sad. Oh, not surprisingly. Yeah. It's also sad that, you know, $600 could mean so much to some people, yes. but it ended up being just a footnote in oh. a meal that this guy spent, mm-hmm. you know, like a two ounce little tin of caviar. Oh. There goes all your, the money you were saving up for doing your waitressing job. To make it big. And also then, too, I'm sure there were so many parents, too, that were, like, doing it for their kid to be like, okay, well, this will be it. And that in total with the upfront, it's like $800 for the first year. I mean, that is still a fucking lot now. I feel this was, like, almost 30 years ago. A fucking, fucking lot then, too. Obviously, this place got called out pretty quickly for being a scam. But it's funny because it almost, because there were less internet laws, obviously, then, it because it was scamming all over, that it was hard to kind of make a major change with it instantly like the better business bureau was very negative about them there was a pattern of complaints concerning misrepresentation and selling practices the new york state consumer protection board also issued an alert naming it as the largest example they found of a photo mill scam and that also because this is another part of it a photo mill scam at its basic is that you would a you'd have to pay to have your photo up and also models would have to pay for photos taken by the place and they can't submit their right. own headshots. Which is also shady, because it's like, no, I want to use the one from me two years yeah. ago where I look good. <laughs> <laughs> no, take a photo right now. That'll be another $1,500. At the mall, yeah. For... <laughs> right. But that's the thing. They had these complaints in California and Florida, so it was kind of all over. And they did a thing that I feel, you know, it's the, it's the shitty power move that I think a lot of uh, rich people... I feel the most the people who declare bankruptcy the most are rich people who don't want to get... <laughs> don't want to give up their money. Uh, because when people started to circle around them, they declared bankruptcy, so there was no real point in following through with any suits because they were virtually worthless. So uh, there was just kind of... With that, in 2004, the LLC filed a civil suit for defamation. So again, this man, Lou, filed a (laughs) suit saying that he was being defamated against. That case was dismissed (laughs) and closed in 2006. (laughs) That's that's uh, exactly how it should have gone, and that's how it did go. So that's mm-hmm. good. The company somehow kind of existed in 2007. Its assets were sold in a proceeding that we will fill you in on in a little bit, because you can see where this is going. The man, though, it kind of, and also you almost wonder, 
how does it stop? Because he just is constantly being able to push forward, play all these games and everything. But it started to get reach the end in 2004 when a 72-year-old man, Joseph Chow, in Chicago was dying of pancreatic cancer, very sadly. But so weird how this is where this story sort of starts to end. And poor Joseph, he was delusionally so supportive of Lou. He was like a very wealthy man who just, who was sold on Lou's promises. He's like, oh my God, like, I'm going to make all this money off of these like bands and these businesses and all this talent. And these blimps. These blimps, yeah. I mean, oh my God. I can see a blimp from Chicago. Yeah, you know, sounds great. <laughs> it is funny, and like, but it is good. So if your families, if you have maybe a delusional uncle or aunt, be suspicious of him because the family was really yeah. annoyed at how much money he was investing into lose businesses. And then when Joseph, unfortunately, of course, passed, uh, they went to get Lou. They went, they had, I think they like, <laughs> I guess they drew straws. They had one uncle go to Lou to get the money to pay for the <laughs> hospital costs because shout out to America. The first thing you get hit after oh, a loved one God. dies is a bill. <laughs> Closing time. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Things, <laughs> well, Lou kind of was like, oh, you want his money? Like he was kind of like, wait, what? What? Ah, uh, uh, um, and then said, I could pay you a hundred grand a quarter until we got to fourteen million dollars, which is what Joseph Chow was owed, or what is in wow. quote unquote investments up, accumulated up to. Yeah, no shit. The family was like, yeah, I'd be, a we have to pay for costs and divvy up stuff. I don't want a hundred grand a quarter until we get to fourteen million. I don't even know how many quarters. I mean, that it's takes. unbelievable. This guy all like just stole from everyone. Yeah. He didn't discriminate. He stole from poor people, rich people, everyone. But fourteen million dollars. Oh God, that's a lot of money to trust to oh, some dude. It's bed, I bath, mean, and beyond. Yeah. Yeah, I guess from the Backstreet Boys era, he did get like really national yeah. recognition. He could point to something and be like, "Look how successful I am." Um, but it's also kind of unbelievable that. You know, after doing all these scams, that he never suffered consequences no, for nothing. all this. You know, it had been like over ten years since his first venture, or oh, even, even more, more than twenty or so. Yeah, twenty years since he was just scamming, defrauding, lying, cheating, and he was never arrested, never had any ounce of consequence. He just lost all this money, stole all mm -hmm. this money, and was able to move on to the next big thing move different industries and just keep going keep stealing keep big wheel keep on turning and that is a song no shade to anything about it. <laughs> of course and the achilles heel of pride what did lou do he countersued like we say he always does and it is funny they were confused They're like why are they countersuing us in chicago and it's because florida courts are so fucking sick they said that we can't go through any more of this man go to chicago <laughs> And just, I don't find, you guys deal with it. <laughs> wow. I mean, Florida, I mean, Chicago has a different energy in the court system, I think, than Florida. So, Lou, you're fighting with fire here. Chicago, sure. they, they don't fuck around. So he filed this in, like, end of 2004, and the centerpiece of his lawsuit is what he was calling a forbearance letter. And in this case, it is a, wait for this, that he thought this was, I'm sure at its core, this might be a legitimate thing somewhere. This is what Lou brought to the court saying, this is why I'm suing them. Uh, it is a one-paragraph note signed by Joseph Chow saying, in essence, that his loans could be forgiven if Perlman didn't feel like repaying. 
if he just was like, oh my God, I'm just so busy. It's the holidays. I don't want to pay back. I'm not going to do that. I don't that. want to. Yeah, it's like on the comeback. <laughs> After a long day at work, I don't want to see that. Like literally. <laughs> Everyone was kind of like, who? Why would anyone forgive $14 million in loans? $14 million. And shout out. I mean, this is really when lawyers can come through. I mean, shout out to all the lawyers listening. Sorry that you had to go through so much school, but you know, it pays off. Maybe not always financially because loans, but it pays off to help people. Because one night when the Chow's lawyers were looking over the documents, they looked at the forbearance letter and Joseph Chow's signature and they were like, huh, looks a little familiar. And so he started going through notes and then he saw it and held it up to the light and compared it to the forbearance letter. So he looked at the two things and that they were like absolutely identical. And I know what you're thinking. Mm. You're like, how does that help that they had the ability to prove that because it was so identical, it was like a literal copy because no signature like pen. This is when you get those people like on the crime shows that are like, I'm a pen expert. And you're like, huh? When they come through, because you're like, this makes no sense. And like, so then they started to like gather original loan documents, hire experts, and they started just mainly were like, okay, this gives us the ability to like muck some shit up. And you know what's hard for a businessman who's just built on a web of lies when shit gets mucked up. <laughs> so not so uh, shortly after in 2005, the Chow family had all the evidence they needed to prove that Lou was a scammer. This one family was able, who like had no affiliation really with him, was the person who was able to really call out the scam that he was, which is pretty impressive. And then in 2006, investors started to discover that our, okay, like Lou, we'll call him, had perpetrated the longest running Ponzi scheme in American history at this time. There it is. Boom. Wow. And remember what we learned, the Ponzi scheme, there was the woman in Boston who did it first. So it should be named after her. I'm sorry, I forgot her name. That's she was true. the original scammer, but they didn't name it her because... <laughs> Sexism, but shout out to her too. I mean, no, shout out to her, but you know what I mean. But the Ponzi scheme in American history. And this is the wow. fun, this is the crazy thing too, is that people were like, wait, the bank didn't discover this? Like, it, like no one was able to realize this. Nobody realized that the largest asset, Transcon Air, didn't fucking exist anymore. No one was able to put like, pap- like a, a circle into the square to say, oh, nothing is fitting here. So he defrauded investors overall of over $1 billion dollars. And 300 million of that is still missing, though no one knows where the fuck that is. And for 20 years, he has enticed individuals and banks to invest in Transcontinental Airlines Inc., Transcon Records, and both companies' parent, Transcontinental International Inc. I know it sounds like Mark Jacobs by Mark Jacobs for Mark Jacobs, except Mark Jacobs, <laughs> as we know at the time of recording, is a legitimate business, I hope and assume. I don't shop them, but you know what I mean. It also kind of sounds like a high school musical, the musical, <laughs> the series, the, the series. play. <laughs> yeah, the play. I mean, honest fucking lay. Oh, I feel like those Disney contracts also, they could get a, I feel like the early ones of those could get I'm some sure. uh, nitty gritty into that. Yeah, so all three of these companies literally only existed on paper. I think the thing that kept him going that long was because the gig would have been up a little bit sooner until the boy bands took off and Transcon Records was the singular one profiting from the signed acts. Because as we know, they just took all the money from the band. So that's how they were right. really profiting. <laughs> and then he was able to use the success of that and the money from that to expand the Ponzi scheme business. And it's 
interesting too because i feel like you're probably like how dumb are rich people to their credit cards uh he like kind of pulled the wig over like he was able to give him a little bit because he had all these falsified documents and i guess people aren't really triple checking everything like he had stuff from the federal deposit insurance corporation aig lloyds of london all these banks to win investors confidence in this program which he called employee investment savings account and when someone did ask to see proof of like being involved with AIG and the FDIC backing, Perlman invited him to his office and displayed what appeared to be a massive AIG insurance policy, as well as a letter confirming FDIC protection. The little silly thing with that, though, is that a lawyer, uh, Bob Persanti, who's a Tampa lawyer who representing 15 of the investors, said AIG policy is not related to the FDIC. So this letter is not just fake, but just doesn't make sense. Yeah, it just has no bearing on the FDIC. That's so fascinating. I'm sure part of it, too, is like this guy could just talk to anyone, Yeah, you know, could convince anyone of anything. Um, so you get invited to the office of this major time guy. You gotta you get know, a glass of wine. The manager of the Backstreet Boys. Yeah. Right. $600 glass of wine he got from, you know, defrauding someone to put a picture on an website. Do you know how many Sweet Sixteens and Bar Mitzvahs the Backstreet Boys probably had to play at to win these people over to? I'm just assuming. <laughs> That's not in any document. I just know how rich people like to spend their money when they have, you know what I mean? I feel like there's something with that. He also used fake financial statements created by fake accountants to secure bank roams. One was called Cohen and Siegel. I mean, it does sound legit. Um, <laughs> just sounds legit. Yeah, and just like transcontinental airlines. I mean, it sounds legit. I literally thought that was something. So yeah, I'm like Pan Am. Is that that? <laughs> <laughs> the biggest lie is the simplest, though. Funny enough, is that there was because all of this was based in you're going to be in this program called the Employee Investment Savings Account. That isn't a thing. There is a legitimate federally insured vehicle called Employee Retirement Investment Savings Account, which we all know as. Uh, like retirement investments and everything like that. But according to the lawyer, this fictitious EISA account was nothing more than a transparent attempt to capitalize on confusion between the two names. Wow. And just from those, the EISA investments alone, he got $300 million from that, which maybe is the missing one still because nobody knows where the hell that is. Wow. I, a lot it, of money. So much money, so much time, so much hair gel, like really just full 90s and everything out. <laughs> Um, so much and coke, it was kind I'm of sure. so much. Co oh, the regular, <laughs> like the snorty and the drinking. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it is kind of like that tale as old as time. Perlman would pay the old investors with the money coming from the new ones, and he would win them over. Kind of what we were saying, be like, you know, I got a, uh, I got these ESA plans, and normally only my employees get them, but I've built in a special clause that allows me to give it to friends and family. So if you think you're getting a friends and family. I, I, whenever I'm at a restaurant and it gives me a friends and family card, I'm like, okay, I'm in. I don't know if it's a real discount, but I love it. <laughs> so in 07, it was a confirmed full-on massive fraud, and the Florida regulators took possession of the company. Most of the almost $95 million, which was collected from the investors, were gone. Uh, Orange County Circuit Judge Renee Roach ordered Perlman and two of his associates, Robert Fischetti and Michael Crudell, to bring back to the U.S. any assets that were taken abroad, which were... Uh, driven from illegal transactions. And if you're wondering, abroad, what does that have to do with this? Hard boy Lou Perlman was on the run. He, <laughs> I just imagine him. on a him, blimp I, somewhere? I know, I know this is 
doesn't know what happened, but him just like driving a blimp trying to get somewhere. <laughs> and it is crazy that he was like, he was bopping around in Germany, Indonesia, everywhere like that. And a tourist couple saw him in Indonesia and they were able to track him from there to where all of this began, Germany, where he was living in a tourist hotel. He was indicted by a federal grand jury on June 27, 2007, and charged with three counts of bank fraud, one count of mail fraud, and one count of wire fraud. So basically all the fraud you could get charged with, he got charged with. Doesn't that sound low, though? Three counts of bank fraud, one of mail fraud. I mean, when you hear about these, you're like, 25 counts of bank fraud, 18 of mail fraud. Because you're like, didn't he swindle 9 million hundred people? Like, what the fuck? (laughs) But I wonder if it's that thing, because I know they sometimes say, like, we can guarantee this and get him away for a little bit. So maybe just, like, make it easier on everybody. I don't know. Right, but I know. Right. I was just shocked at how low that was, thing. too. Also, what an end. Living in a tourist hotel. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm like, I've been in hostels. They're not comfortable. I don't know how he was being comfortable in them. I don't even know. After getting a billion dollars from investors, <laughs> he ended up in a tourist hotel in Germany. In <laughs> Germany. Guten Tag, bitch. Guten Tag. And before we get to, we included this towards the end because it plays a part in the scamming. It wasn't quite what all of his scamming was about, but it is important to bring up these allegations because I know this was the main stuff I knew about him. And it is hard because not all of this is proven and concrete, but I'm assuming, I think we all understand what went down. Multiple outlets like Vanity Pair from 2007 on reported that he was a sexual predator with the boy band members. Some guys even joked about it yet, saying that it was such common knowledge, unfortunately, from the people in it that uh, and one of the major whistleblowers or guys who've come forward, because not a lot of people have, is Steve Mooney, who was Lou's assistant for so long, saying kind of like it was so known. I would absolutely say that the guy was a sexual predator. All the talent knew what his game was. If they say no, they're lying to you. And Rich Cronin, who was from LFO, which I didn't know stood, stood for light, funky ones. Um, <laughs> I didn't know that either. I didn't know that at all. He even said that when Lou started this business, I don't really think that he thought any of us would become successful. I think he just wanted cute guys around and then lightning crazily struck and an empire created. But it wasn't his, from the way that he felt Lou was handling everybody. He did not feel it was a thing. Right, he had no know-how in the music industry. Like, we know that. He, this guy grew up, like, loving blimps and suddenly fell into one of the most music, successful yeah. boy bands. Of and you time. can't say, sure, Art Garfunkel's his cousin. My cousin's an accountant. Don't send me your taxes. I don't know fucking do shit. So it's not like, I don't think there was a, a gene that passed down from that. Right. And AJ McLean, who we all know from Backstreet Boys, even said, as a mother, you kind of put two and two together. There was always that fine line when you sat back and went, okay, is this guy who always wanted to be a father and uncle? Is it all innocent? What's going on? Which is, I mean, there's so much to say. It is a very weird thing if, like, you have these inclinations and it's still in. Very murky. Really does remind me, not maybe as intense, but as the MJ documentaries and everything like that, or how the kids would just go to the house and everything. And I guess it's also hard because it was business involved. But it wasn't until 97 and 98, so when the band started getting more popular and also a lot of the Lawsuits started going on. It was the first allegation of inappropriate behavior was surfaced. And this incident really centered on Nick Carter, who we all know from the Backstreet Boys, who in 1997 was 17 years old. AJ's mom continued to say, like, for a while, Nick loved going over to Lou's house. And then all of a sudden, there was like a flip at some point. Then we heard from the Carter family that there was 
some kind of inappropriate behavior. And I mean, understandably, I mean, of course, we all want answers and things like that. The family doesn't really want to fucking talk about it. Nick doesn't really want to talk about it. They don't address it. But Jane did say back in 2007 during this interview that certain things happened and it almost destroyed our family. So I think we can connect a fucking dot to realize that this guy was a disgusting piece of shit in regards to this. There's additional information from Tim Christofori, who was in a band Take 5, that Lou would always greet the boys like in towels, jumping into bed, and like would they would have movie nights like to see Star Wars, which like, I mean, like he got like Star Wars early and all the guys were coming over to see the film. Like, that sounds amazing. And halfway through, it would switch to porn, all this weird stuff. And it's like, they're like fucking 15 to 17. They don't know what is, you don't know what to do in that situation. So it's really hard. Like the only main people though, who talk about it on paper is Steve Mooney and Rich Cronin, who both also said that he would do a lot of like massages to fix auras. He said he was like a trained physical therapist, which... I'll let you Google him and realize that's a lie and really just wanted to like in all this like really creepy stuff like would be so touchy feely. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Mooney said that there was one guy in every band, one sacrifice, one guy in every band who takes it for Lou. I mean, it is that hard thing. Like a lot of people deny this. I know Lance Bass did a documentary about uh, the boy band con. That was mainly about the financial con some of this stuff gets brought up, but only on the surface. A lot of people deny it. Aaron Carter deny. I, I think it's just, I, I mean, like they were kids, so you never know what people are going to bring up, but I know that air is there. This definitely, to me, has shades of the Michael Jackson yeah. story, the documentary Finding Neverland, which is, I mean, hard to oh, watch, but it, it has this same sort of idea that, you know, there's just this person with this huge aura Mm -hmm. almost larger than life and with michael jackson it was i mean more than lou perlman but the same sort of thing in which you know you trust this person because they're so successful and they have all this money and this big house and even as a parent it's tough to even connect the dots because at the end of the day like you don't want to you know it's like an uncomfortable truth for you to believe that you were putting your child in a difficult or you know terrible situation by bringing him to this successful person's house and leaving them yeah. there. It's like, and it's a hard you know, thing where it's like the kid is living. They're like, Oh, am I doing everything right for my kid? Cause they're living their dream and they're traveling the world right. and super successful. Or am I doing what's wrong for them? And you just don't know. And, of, and like a lot of the anecdotal stuff from bandmates and everything like that, where they're just like, we were kids. We didn't know what was fucking right or wrong either. Like, right. They, and it was just, yeah. So it's very hard for that. He was never, charged with anything for that because no one pressed charges in that regard but it definitely had the air over it and is very important to bring up just so people get the full picture of the terror that he had on these these kids yeah but to wrap up how his legal battle and the ramifications of all that went five days before his sentencing in may 2008 he said he wanted a telephone and interconnection to try to promote bans This was obviously rejected because he wasn't doing the bands, and I'm assuming they also thought what I immediately assumed when I saw this, bitch was trying to wire money somewhere somehow. So he was not able to do that. And on May 21st, 2008, he was sentenced to 25 years in prison on charge of conspiracy, money laundering, and making false statements during a bankruptcy proceeding. He could reduce his prison time by one month for every million dollars he helped a bankruptcy trustee recover. That's how much money was missing that he like needed back. 
one month for a million. Right. Oh my oh. god. What is nice? I mean, I don't. I guess this might be common too. That the judge ordered individual investors be paid before institutions before distributing any eventual assets because like individuals got fucked harder than these businesses. Not surprisingly, the company, like we said, bankrupt March two thousand seven. That was the fashion. Rocknet, and then. <laughs> Just to really smoke and mirrors it all, lenders planned on auctioning off assets and personal belongings in his mansion because it was full of all these well-known works of art that he said he bought, priceless memorabilia. Like we're talking things that you would see at like the Met or like one of a kind stuff. Yeah, museum. Yeah. Yeah. Every single thing of it was fake. <laughs> <laughs> Emperor had no clothes. Like literally. Where did all the money go? That's what what was he doing with it? It is unfathomable. I mean, well, you know what? Some of it went to buying because his office was in an abandoned, uh, famous train station in Orlando. So if anybody is from there or has been there, the Church Street station that he bought for so many millions and the bankruptcy auction house, thankfully, was able to sell this for $34 million to try to pay some people back. And a lot of other stuff was (laughs) they tried to sell through eBay and auction houses just to get it on the cheap to be like, does anybody want a fucking painting? Does anyone want a fake Mona Lisa? From a terrible person, anyone? It's like, yeah, it's like the Mo- it's like the Mona Lyle. I'm like, what? Like, what is that? Yeah, it's like she just has like half an eye. Yeah. It is confusing though, because I'm like, he had this church station for $34 million. Like, that is what he was spending money on. It's just so insane what people do when they have so much money. Wow. He started his prison sentence in March 2008. And I think he was set to be released in like 2027 or so based on yeah just some stuff so in like a few years but as we all probably maybe you know he suffered a stroke in 2010 while incarcerated and was diagnosed with an infection of a heart valve he had one surgery to replace it and he was set for another one but he ultimately died august 19th 2016 from a cardiac arrest at the age of 62 some of the band members like justin timberlake all of them were like complicated feelings with him rest in peace but no one really is touching any of this and i feel kind of just There is that. We'll see if any, I mean, from the money standpoint, I don't know if anybody's going to get fucking money back from this. Hopefully, slowly and surely people are. And from the other allegations and things too, I guess we'll just, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if none of the band members ever want to bring it up because they don't want to relive all of that. Maybe they will to bring some awareness, but that's not for us to decide on. But this guy. Yeah. And it's not a great look to sort of, you know, dig up the past he's already dead you know like what are you gonna do about it but there's no question that this guy was incredibly evil you know he was a terrible person who stopped at nothing um to defraud lie cheat and hurt people from literally almost birth yeah from birth (laughs) he was a kid with a love of blimps and he managed to turn that into a long rap sheet of crimes yeah i mean i guess the main thing is if you have a kid don't raise them near an airport because if they see something i don't know what i don't know what the cause and effect will be of that i'm sure it's also loud you but you never also, know what could be the trigger you never you never fucking know but for a life of crime that was i was i'm glad we did this one because i was really curious about it too and it is so weird how pop culture and crime and the levels to it all and everything like that so if you guys are have other people that you're like okay well this person is a fucking shady awful human being obviously let us know on the facebook group not under the true crime group you could also dm it at not under the true crime you could follow me on instagram at cashmere danny cashmere the k i don't think jorge wants you to follow him because he's a private person but no, yeah i think so really right use instagram no 
No, I'm good. You can just Google image Jorge at Betches and see what comes up, and then you could <laughs> see what he's up to then. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, until yeah, next yeah, week, yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah take care. <laughs> Not Another True Crime Podcast is produced by Jorge Morales Pico and Sean Kilby. Our hosts are Sarah Levine and Danny Murphy. Editing by Jorge Morales Pico. Social media by Sarah Levine. Be sure to follow at NATC Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And send us your emails to NATC at Betches.com. Betches.